In eighth grade, I joined the football team. And in my small rural hometown, Ohio, in, in my small rural hometown in Ohio, football was God, or at least kind of right next to him. On Friday nights, you weren't out at malls or at movies or doing anything else. You were at the football game. So even in eighth grade, we took it very seriously to be in football because next year you were going to be in the high school football program, and man, you don't mess around with that. My buddy Aaron, he was so serious that he got himself a strength coach to, strength coach to boost his strength for football, and uh, he asked me to join him with, in those sessions, and so I did. And it turns out that, this is my first year in football again, remember, that I love strength training. I didn't necessarily love the football part just yet, but I liked going and lifting heavy things. Uh, but a big part of that was my coach. My, my strength training coach, his name was Brian, and he was awesome. He was professional. He believed in you. He always had your best interests in mind, and he always just made you want to work hard for him. He was one of the best coaches I ever had. And I remember thinking that I ever didn't want to let Brian down. I wanted to please him and give him, give him everything that I had for those lifting sessions. And in fact, when I still go home, I still go back to that old gym and work out there and, and see my, my lifting coach, Brian, because he, he owned it. I wanted to please him again, as I said, and give him all that I had for those sessions. It wasn't even necessarily about football strength. It was, it was about getting better and also showing Brian what I was made of. Today... We're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Thessalonians that urges us to continue pleasing God. And let me assure you, God is a far better coach, so to speak, than Brian. He's, in fact, more than that. He's our creator. He's the one who loved us enough to send his son to die and resurrect for us, and who gives us his spirit that we might dwell with him even now. So, we should want to continue pleasing him. I think, as a church, we've done that well. Next weekend, we're going to celebrate 40 years of CCF's existence. And over this last week or so, I've had the privilege of looking over many of the memories that you've sent in. And let me tell you, I think that God has been pleased with CCF's ministry here. God has moved through this church's willing vessels. The word has been preached faithfully. People have been baptized, marriages have been saved, children and teens have received a firm foundation, healthy relationships have been built, missionaries have been sent, buildings have been paid off, and so, so much more. But here's the thing. I want to urge us today to continue striving to please God. And I think that's what our passage is about today. But I also want to say, again along with this passage, let us not rest on what we've done. The best days indeed are not behind us. Let us use next week's celebration as a launching point for so much more. So my question is for us today as we dive into our passage, how do we continue pleasing God? How do we continue pleasing God? Well, again, as I said, I think that's what our passage answers today in two simple movements, two sections of of verses, and we're going to look at the book together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. So turn there, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 12. And in this passage today, 
uh, we're going to be reminded that uh, we've come from chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul's had this extended greeting and defense of his ministry. And finally, now here in chapter 4, Paul gets to kind of the occasion for the letter. Kind of some things that he needs to remind the Thessalonians about. (laughs) It's a tough word, okay? Um, So that's what happens right before that. That's what we've been preaching through in in Thessalonians. And so now here in chapter 4, we're going to see how we continue pleasing God. And one of the first ways that we do that is by controlling our bodies. How do we please God? We control our bodies. That's one of the first things that Paul and uh, Timothy and Sylvanus get to here in the message. Read along with me in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We'll pause there really quickly. Again, Paul has now shifted in saying, hey, we're asking you and urging you in the Lord Jesus, right? And, and it says that they've given them instructions through the Lord Jesus. So this is really coming from Jesus that he's writing to them. And he says that you receive from us how you ought to walk, how you ought to please God. And here's what he says and why I use the word continue today is because you are doing that. And so what we are asking you to do is do it more and more, right? And now here in the passage, Paul's going to get after verses 1 and 2 into what he's asking them to do more and more. Things to remember. And again, what we can probably say about this passage is that it's not a direction necessarily to all the people that are causing issues in the church is probably a few that Paul is writing the letter to to remind them of these things, right? Paul is really, really stoked about the Thessalonians for the most part. They've been doing good work. Verses, or chapters 1, 2, and 3 reminds us of that. But Paul still says there's some things you need to work on. There's some things you need to do to continue pleasing God. What does he say? Look at verse 3 with me. For this is the will of God. Again, not the total sum will of God, but one aspect of the will of God. Your sanctification. That continual process of you being made holy and set apart. God wills that for you. He wants that for you. And here's how in this passage. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called you for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's the first chunk of our passage. Again, verses 1 through 8, and the action of controlling our bodies and pleasing and continuing to please God. Let me point out some textual things, some things from the text that we just read to help kind of explain what's going on here. Again, the main concern, as we see in this passage, is sexual immorality, avoiding sexual immorality, abstaining from it, keeping from it. Right? And a lot of this passage rides on just one kind of single phrase and, and everything packed around it. And this 
it says in verse 4 that each one of you know how to control his own body. Different translations use different things. Some people, some translations have wife, some have vessel, and, and all these other things. It all depends on what that word behind body means in Greek. And we don't need to get into all of that because I think that would just be uh, unnecessary. But here's what I think the best explanation for it is this. The best explanation for control his own body is probably gaining control, to be honest, over his male sexual organ. That's what Paul is encouraging some in the Thessalonian church to gain control of, to have possession over and gain control of their, uh, their male sexual organs. Again, the action isn't clearly known as to what's going on in the church in Thessalonica, but we do know, as it says a couple, uh, in the next verse, that you can run, wrong your brother in this way. And the other known is that it's akin to passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God's ways. Right, so why is Paul reminding them of this? Because again, there's probably a fair number of Gentile converts. Again, Jews and Gentiles, the Jews receive God's revelation, God's chosen people. The Gentiles, those who, who aren't and who maybe sometimes have, or not maybe sometimes, worship other gods, not the one God, right? And so you have people who are Gentiles that become God-fearers, become Christians, believe in Christ. And guess what? They're coming from a place where they don't have the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? Again, one, um, one philosopher in this day and age said that uh, mistresses we have for pleasure, concubines we have for household chores, and wives we have for legitimate children. That was the Roman mindset in that day and age. So if you're a Gentile convert coming up out of the Roman sexual system, you would need to be reminded of this. Paul says these things in, in 1 Corinthians elsewhere in visiting temple prostitutes and idolatry and all these other things. It was baked in the whole system of being a Roman. And a Roman male could do whatever he wanted, really, sexually. So Paul is reminding them that now you have a different ethic. Now you have different expectations. Why? Because the Lord is an avenger that's, that's kind of scary. The Lord is an avenger in all these things, it says. And we solemnly warned you about that. And behind that, why, why does God care? And we'll talk about that in a second. God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. It matters what we do with our bodies. And it says in verse 8 to finish, whoever disregards this then, Again, this is a weighty matter. Whoever disregards this, dis disregarding not man, Paul's, Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, they're not writing about their own wants. This is God's wants. You disregard not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the, 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 the kind of controlling theology behind this is that you need to control your body because God cares who you sleep with. God cares who you sleep with. And again, there's, there's a couple of things to, to illustrate. There's a couple of things that have to be a presupposition before you get to that point. Because again, in our day and age, a lot of people would balk at the idea of God caring who you slept with. Right? The God of the universe cares about that? Well, and he does, because if God is the creator of all things, including us, if, if he made you, male and female, and if, if he gave you a purpose and design in your maleness and your femaleness, if he has a purpose for marriage, if all those things then it follows that God cares about what we do with our bodies, what we do with, um, with, with one another, 
right? Imagine me for a second making bread. I like to make sourdough bread. Uh, this was my kind of pandemic thing that I did with everybody else and their brother, but I started a couple weeks before the pandemic, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I like to make sourdough bread about once a month right now. And so imagine for a second that I've, I've made some sourdough bread and I create that bread to be uh, given to a friend. So I, I make this nice, beautiful artisanal loaf. And I was going to show you a picture, but then you would have just been distracted the rest of the time. Uh, this beautiful loaf that I give, that I'm giving to a friend so that friend can enjoy it for their dinner, right? <laughs> a sample. <laughs> uh, the, well, I'll get a sample to you soon, okay? <laughs> uh, so I make this loaf for a friend, and that friend's going to use it for their dinner. And then all of a sudden, you know, again, this is just a general household thing. Um, someone says, hey, Nick, I need to come over and borrow your, I don't know what they'd borrow, a big fat theology book that you have on your bookshelf at home. Okay, you know, and I'm out and about for that day, and I have the loaf sitting there. I said, doors unlocked, come on and grab that theology book and whatever you want. And then I come back home later, and so-and-so's grabbed the theology book, and the sourdough loaf has about just a quarter of it left. They've eaten that piece of bread. They've eaten that big old loaf that was supposed to be for a friend for their dinner. They've, they've completely violated my intentions for the design and purpose of that bread. They've come in and stolen it and taken it and eaten it and violated it. And it's a reminder to us that it matters. God cares about who we sleep with. It matters to him. Sam Alberry, in his book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? A great little book, by the way. He says this, and I quote, Any sexual assault or immorality is a violation of sacred space. To mistreat someone is to mistreat something God has made. Other people are not some irrelevant third party. They are people whom God decided to make and cares deeply about. And abuse of them is an affront to him. End quote. God cares about who we sleep with. And kind of tying this all together about controlling our bodies for a little application point in this is we need to control ourselves. We need to control ourselves and keep watch on ourselves because our actions affect more than just me, myself, and I. They may affect my spouse. They may affect my friends, all the relationships, my family, broadly speaking. And guess what? Shocker, they would even affect this body in this congregation. They do not just affect you They can affect our church body and ultimately God, whether you like that or not. So God is asking us to control our bodies, to keep watch on ourselves, to remind ourselves that what we look at with our eyes, Jesus says, it's not just about committing adultery. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed committed adultery with, with that person. So it's not just about actually committing adultery or sleeping with someone else, whatever it might be. It's about the wholeness of it, the actions and the heart. God wants both for that, for us. May we never forget that. Again, the Thessalonians are doing good. There's probably only a few who maybe are, are violating things in this way, or, and, and Paul's maybe heard of that, whatever it might be. And I think broadly speaking, as a church, we are, are doing well, I pray and hope, in these matters. But control yourself. Keep watch on yourself, because all it takes is one little slip. Please God, continue to please God by controlling your body. And in the second movement, in verses 9 through 12, 
please God, continue to please God by using your body, using your body. Let's move on to verses 9 through 12. Read with me. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Paul's saying, you know, you've got brotherly love down. But verse 10 continues on and says, For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Paul's saying, I know you got that because there's a lot of brothers in Macedonia who've benefited because of your love. But, Paul says he has something, but we urge you, brothers, do this more and more to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now this second half, again, using our bodies, needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, because again, some of our, our translation, it just, things fall short, right? So um, we don't know the background situation well here. Uh, we have maybe some clues later on in the passage and in Second Thessalonians, so let me unpack this, right? A couple of key phrases to help us understand what's going on here. Live quietly. It says, aspire, strive for, to live quietly, right? Well, again, kind of behind that image is not just like, you know, kind of being quiet and, you know, not blaring our music. I'm a renter, so I try not to, you know, use my music too loudly. It's not saying that, right? Like, don't blast your music or anything, right? Um, living quietly is more akin to don't disturb or burden other, the lives of others, right? So within the church, it could be very easy to disturb or burden the lives of others if someone, for instance, as I think we're going to unpack in this passage, is living off the excess of others and not using their own God-given abilities to work if they're able, right? So this living quietly has this idea of disturbing or burdening the lives of others. And then the other part, mind your own affairs. Paul, I think, is basically saying here, busy yourselves with your own work, right? Busy yourselves with your own work. Figure out your own job and mind your own affairs that way. Paul, we know, was a tent maker who made a living and a wage so as in, in some circumstances to not burden people. That's the ethic that Paul bestowed upon many of his churches that he helped plant. Busy yourselves with your own work and work with your hands. A better way of kind of emphasizing what's being put on here is work with your own hands. If you're able, go and work with that body that God has given you. Work with your own hands. Again, a little more clue for uh, another clue for later on uh, that we find later on in the passage. Paul says, admonish the idol, right, in, in chapter 5 near the end. He says, admonish the idol. Keep those that are just busybodying, disturbing the peace and things like that. Admonish them to, to get to work. And then Second Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 13, has a further explanation of saying, hey, like, Really, admonish those people who are, who, are, who are idle, who aren't doing things, who are disturbing and burning the lives of others. Again, imagine just for a moment, you're a new Gentile convert. Again, we don't know the details here, but you're new, a new convert who's come up out of Gentile uh, work. And maybe you were involved in the idol uh, and the temple, uh, temple system and worshiping idols and doing, you know, who knows what. And all of a sudden, now you feel that you can't work there any longer and be a Christian in good faith. And, and, and now these people who are able to work are, are maybe kind of in between and doing things and unnecessarily burning the lives of others and disturbing whatever is going on in the lives of people. We, again, we don't know the exact situation, but whatever is going on, Paul is saying, like, you have the ability to go out and work, 
go doing work so that you don't burden others. Right? Paul is asking them to do that. And so again, the, the, the theology kind of behind this is you need to use your own body because God created you to work. God created humanity to work before even the fall. Right? Humanity was introduced in the garden and Adam was to work and to keep the garden. And that was pre-fall. And so work, even though it's now been had an added dimension of toil and difficulty, work was instituted prior to the fall. God wants us to work, to create good things. As long as you're able. Again, this isn't saying like if you're unable to work for whatever physical reasons, mental reasons, or whatever it might be, or in between jobs. But if you're able and you're unnecessarily burdening people because of your presence and because of what you're doing in life and the newness uh, of all that, then you are not following what Paul would have you do, what I think scripture would have you do. Use your body because God created you to work if you're able. Again, uh, the idea here is just living off the excess of others this, and, and un- burning them unnecessarily. You know, you have enough f- food for five people at your dinner table, but then this sixth person always keeps showing up unnecessarily and unannounced, and they've eaten, uh, <laughs> eaten a lot of food and whatever it might be. Um, don't burden people unnecessarily. Make your own living. I think um, this, this somewhat applies. I, I thought this week of a guy named uh, Jackson Mahomes. For those of you that don't know, his brother is Patrick Mahomes, the star quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And Jackson Mahomes, um, it, when you uh, go and look him up, is a very hated individual because basically he's gotten famous off his brother's fame. And a lot of people don't like him. He's become a TikTok star. And you know what? Maybe he's worked hard on TikTok and all those other things. I don't know. I don't know. But I know a lot of people basically think and know that he has lived off the fame of his brother and he's not a good person. He's not worked for it. He's dumped water on people. He's uh, danced on people's memorials and things like that and all these other things that that there's this big old list. Um, But he is living off his brother Patrick's fame. He's living off that and not making a name for himself, so to speak, right? Another thing that I, I thought of in this particular context, I've, I've, I've heard stories of those that, you know, uh, continue to go to work for months on end, but it turns out that they lost their job. And they're going to work and, and not really doing anything and still bringing in an income because maybe they've received an inheritance or some other different way of bringing in an income, and they're not actually going to work. And one day that will run up and dry and all of a sudden, then the burden falls upon the whole family if there's no job there, right? So this is, is something that we have to remember is we need to work for the glory of God. We need to work to keep others and not unnecessarily burden them. We have to use what God has given us. Work for the glory of God and keep others by that work. Again, when we as a church body rally around individuals that need help in a time of season, in, in a season, in, in time of life, we do a good thing. We do a really good thing. And we want to be a church body that is all contributing in different ways, financially, maybe also our time and our care, whatever it might be. We want to be available for that. And we want to work to keep people. We want to not unnecessarily burden others. We want to work for the glory of God. And Paul is telling us we need to um, work that way at the end of the verses in verse 12. 
We may walk properly before outsiders. Again, people are watching how we live. And we want to be dependent on no one. Again, I think we want to be dependent on God. But the idea behind this is having an ethic of working hard to keep glorifying God and to keep others, to keep our bodies going, our church bodies going. So we want to please, continue pleasing God by controlling our bodies and using our bodies. And so I want to close today with a quick application for us. I want to close with a quick application because there's some other things I want to point, in the, point out in this text that I think will help us. Again, my application is this, continue pleasing God, right? To, to fill that all together, we want to continue pleasing God by controlling our bodies and using our bodies. And so my thing for you today is continue on. I've mentioned here as a church body that we've done good work for 40 years. We want to continue on just as you are doing. Paul says, do so more and more. He says that in the first uh, half of, of, of our uh, text today in verses 1 through 8. And in the second half, just as you are doing this, continue on, continue, do so more and more. He's urging he, uh, uh, look, at, look at some of these key uh, texts in here. Paul says that he is urging us to walk in the Lord Jesus. That we are remembering that that is all through what Jesus has done, these instructions. That this is the will of God, our sanctification. That we're being called to holiness. God calls us to holiness. The Lord, and in reminding that the Lord is avenger in all these things, and that, the, that, the, that God gives us his Holy Spirit. And also that he teaches us in verse 9, they've been taught to love one another by God. So what I'm trying to say is this, we continue to please God, paradoxically, paradoxically by God's own help and action. This church is not just an example of your work, it's an example of God's work over the decades here in Edmonds. We continue to please God by God's own help and action. Again, to illustrate this, children please their parents. I, I have a three-year-old, and so we're working on different ways uh, that he can continue to mature, right? Children please their parents more and more when they're taught by them. My son Theodore doesn't realize that I am pleased when he puts his dishes in the sink, or I am pleased when he doesn't uh, freak out that we ask him to clean up his toys. So we have to teach him how to do those things, teach him along the way, and what do you know, at the end of the day, he'll continue to please us in that way because we've taught him. And it's a reminder to us that God is our teacher, that he's our helper, and he is always the primary mover in our lives. We have to remember that God is teaching us, moving us. Again, remember what, what those things, uh, some of those things in the passage, right? God wills things for us. He wants things for you. He wants you to be holy and sanctified. He's calling you to holiness. He will avenge wrongs. He gives you his Holy Spirit, and he teaches you. God is helping you please him by his own action. So continue knowing that God is the primary mover, not you. But for CCF to continue on, we need to strive to please God first and foremost. 
we need to continue on striving to please God first and foremost. So again, I ask you and I urge you today, continue pleasing God by controlling your bodies and using your bodies all for his glory. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, we just want to take a moment to pause and remember that you are God who has made a way for us. That we don't just try and, and please you because, uh, or sorry, from our own accord, from our own will, that you move us, you act within us to keep going to strive to please you. You, t- you teach us. You will things for us. You call us. You give us your convicting and moving Holy Spirit. You've not left us on our own. Well, on our own, we, we seek, again, to use our bodies for your glory, to control our bodies for your glory. We're urging, we're being urged, we're being asked to walk and to please you. We thank you for what you've done. May we never forget that, that you sent your son Jesus on our behalf to die for us. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave that we might be saved from our sin and given new life. And then the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell with us now as a deposit, a down payment for that future reality where there's no more barriers, where we're dwelling with you in a new heaven and a new earth and all those things that we do now controlling our bodies and using our bodies add up one day to where we hear well done good and faithful servant and we see all along that path that hard up and down valley ridden path that you were there walking with us urging us again by the calling of your Holy Spirit let us lean into that now as we close to sing your prayer